You're listening to First Hand, a podcast produced in the office of Alaska Governor Mike Dunleavy, where commissioners and subject matter experts step back from the lectern for a longer look. I'm Patty Sullivan. Today is December 28th, 2021. On this episode, we discuss splitting the Department of Health and Social Services into two departments, the Department of Health and the Department of Family and Community Services. Welcome Commissioner of the Department of Health and Social Services, Adam Crum. Hi, Patty. Thanks for having me. Okay, so before we dive into the world of department bifurcation, you were recently seen leaping and catching some air in striped red and white pants and a straw hat reminiscent of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang before plunging into cold, cold water. Please tell us what was going on. Well, I was uh, uh, lucky enough to be invited to join a group doing the polar plunge, supporting the Special Olympics. And so uh, we decided we were going to go with 1920s bathing suit style. Uh, so a very nice, bright red and white striped outfits. And I figured I would uh, have a skimmer hat just to complete the look. And so I added that. And it was a fantastic event. Very, very cold. Jump in and out. But raising money for the Special Olympics, which is just a tremendous organization. And I was lucky enough to get invited uh, in advance to MC for a little bit to introduce uh, folks as they were jumping in the water, what the cause was, how much money they had raised, and just to support it. And it was a, it was a great event. My first time. And I'll definitely be back. Cool. How much did West Wing raise? Do you remember? The West Wingers, I think we raised like $2,600. That's quite a lot because it's, you know, around the holiday times and hard to fit that stuff in. All important, but hard to fit it in. Okay, so this may be the last time I call you the commissioner of both health and social services, at least on this show. Earlier, you've said the size of government is at the heart of this decision. Can you describe that? So health and social services is uh, the largest department in the state. We have the budget of 12 other state departments out of 14, 12 state departments combined, the governor's office, the legislature, and the court system all combined. We have as many staff as six other state departments. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this is such a large beast that covers so many topics across the board that in order to provide these important services well, we have to have the management structure in place to make sure that we're doing the best we can do from a managerial and administrative side, that recipients are receiving benefits, that payments are going through, and that programs are designed the right way. So large isn't always better. Uh, no, not not in this case. Not when you're talking about these. It's just a massive, I've used the word before, it's a massive beast. It's it's too big in order to do this, uh, to do the services that we want to provide the best way possible. When you say beast and massive, you make me think of that span of control mm-hmm. remark. You know, it's a military term. Uh, describe how it's not working right now with the department. You know, uh, so we've got one commissioner, two deputy commissioners. I have an assistant commissioner to help with finance and the chief medical officer to help with public health. But then the the rest of that, there's 3,500 employees. And so when you've got an exec team of that small size trying to manage all of that, it's very difficult to do so to the best way possible. This is a subject that's not new. This is not a brand new idea. This is something that has been around for a long time that has been a lot of conjecture about should we possibly do this with health and social services. And what really came into into uh, issue to bring this to the forefront was in 2019, um, I asked my directors, uh, these are a lot of the folks who have been with the department, worked with the state for a long time, said, what is the best way that we could have the department be structured so you guys can do your job to the best of your abilities? And we had a handful of directors actually step forward and said the best way possible is actually to get us removed from the Medicaid system. Because while Medicaid is very important, it overshadows everything else, being that it ranges between 30 and 40% of the state budget. 
Mm -hmm. You had mentioned earlier in a conversation with reporters that Medicaid takes all the air out of the room, that the other agencies don't have time to present to legislators, you know, flesh that out a little bit. Yeah, being that Medicaid is such a huge portion of the budget, um, and it's a very difficult subject to comprehend. When you're talking billions of dollars of spends in a single subject area, sometimes people's eyes gloss over. It's a little bit abstract. You know, for the general public, what that means is every week we are writing a check between 40 and $50 million out the door to Medicaid providers. That's how much money the Medicaid program is and what it means to the overall health of the system, both for healthcare, for the, just the employer market. We want to make sure that the system is running the best way possible. So when we do that, you've got such a big subject that I'll have multiple sessions and hearings. Uh, and so it'll be uh, you know, 10, 12 to 15 different hearings that the legislators will call in to ask about Medicaid. Uh, whereas I'll have one hearing where a division or two or three will be shoehorned in together. And that is all of the time that they have to actually present important subjects to the legislature. Mm -hmm. So what's sort of left on the cutting room floor in a way, uh, given Medicaid is getting so much time and the agencies are crammed together? Yeah, some of the other subjects in particular, the ones that reached out is our child welfare side, juvenile justice, the Pioneer Homes and uh, Alaska Psychiatric Institute. And so those are the four divisions that when we talk about uh, splitting the, the Department of Health and Social Services into two departments, is taking these divisions, these OCS Juvenile Justice, the Pioneer Home and Psychiatric Institute, and moving them into the Department of Family and Community Services. And, you know, we talk about span of control, right? It's narrowing the subject field that the commissioner's office has to deal with. It's also about alignment. These are just good, sound managerial practices. These groups, these divisions provide services 24-7 in facilities or in the community, and so we want to make sure that they're doing it because, you know, managing facilities is its own different skill set. And there's a lot of issues there when it comes to deferred maintenance and other concerns that pop up, especially in a state like Alaska with our very widely varied weather patterns and geographic locations around the state. And so we want to make sure we're doing that the best way possible. And that's why the Department of Family and Community Services came together to make sure that these groups are aligned. The other half of the house, which would be our Medicaid divisions, public health and public assistance, are all about payment process and control, right? And when we talk about the control aspects, these are the programs. How do we manage these programs? We don't necessarily do patient care, but we actually help work with providers in system design. And so we want to make sure that that group is running as efficiently as possible, which is taking on the burden of the Medicaid programs and the administrative barriers that are in place. So is it dividing the department into consumers of services versus regulators of services? Pretty much. We've got the ones that actually are providing services. When you think about the, uh, uh, the Pioneer Homes, Pioneer Homes are assisted living facilities, six of them around the state. But you can think of them like a hospital or any other medical provider. They provide a service to elders, and then they bill for that service, whether that be Medicare, Medicaid, private insurance or private pay, or even the general relief fund, they will bill for that service while they still provide it. So it doesn't matter that they are in the same department that uh, Medicaid is, because Medicaid is just an eligibility. So that's what public assistance manages. So it's eligibility of an individual, and if they're eligible for that, then that service will follow them. So for Alaskans, how would they be affected by the split? So uh, the idea is, is that Alaskans actually will not be affected by the split that uh, the time frame we have is that a July 1st effective date and that from June 30th to July 1st, there is no earth shattering moment. 
that beneficiaries receive services, that providers still get the same checks in the mail. And that by doing this, it opens the door for further conversation with stakeholder groups to move into innovation, to actually work with our federal partners in our groups about what is the system you want to see designed in Alaska. Really, the biggest group that's going to be impacted by this split is an internal division. This is our finance and management side. These is, this is the group that manages our payroll, HR, IT services, and the positions that we need to either be created or reclassed are actually these internal positions. All of our public-facing divisions, this is all of the Medicaid, all of public health, Office of Child Services, DJJ, all of those groups, there is no change at all. They are not moving offices. They are not changing leadership. Anybody who interacts with those divisions will continue to do so in the exact same way. So that is our, our goal doing this was to make this as minimally disruptive to Alaskans as possible. You mentioned the restructuring allowing room for innovation. In a best case scenario, what do you see occurring with that innovation, that time for it? You know, when we talk about uh, innovation, there's, there's a lot of decision points that need to come up, be discussed, and decisions made uh, in the next five to ten years here in Alaska. And so when we look at our pioneer homes, we have an aging population in Alaska. How are we going to care for these elders who wish to stay in Alaska? The pioneer homes have a lot of issues when it comes to deferred maintenance, possibly even new construction. Do we actually need to expand items like this? And this is conversation that needs to be had amongst the division, amongst the governor's office, the legislature, and the public about how we want to provide these services. Another side when we talk about innovation is that our federal partners like the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services, or sorry, Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, um, they actually are saying that uh, 1115 waivers, this is a code in the Social Security uh, section that actually allows for innovation to change the way uh, you provide services. What they've said is they'll actually do expedited review of items. And so with, with the Department of Health, when you've got public health and Medicaid working together, what can we do in Alaska to perhaps change how we deliver health care in Alaska to really address some of the Alaskan-specific concerns? We need to have room to have that conversation, to talk with our stakeholders, to talk with our patient groups about what does that mean, what does that look like, in order for this to go ahead. Because it takes a lot of time of negotiating with federal partners to make sure that you can step into this space. As it is right now, there's not a lot of room for these conversations to be had. Because there's just too many employees and... It's just too big. Um, this, is a, this is a department that even when I talk with my predecessors, we essentially move from crisis to crisis. Mm -hmm. Is you're managing each thing that pops up that day, like whack-a-mole. And mm -hmm. the goal is you want to be able to separate that out to actually proactively address concerns to get out in front of this because it's better for Alaskans. And then also have room for conversations for how do we make it better overall? Mm -hmm. Is there something you, any ideas in your mind on some of these issues that you, you want to throw out on the table? Yeah, uh, Alaska is one of the last what's called fee-for-service states when it comes to Medicaid. And so we need to find a way as a state to move forward on this. This is something our federal partners are definitely pushing us to do. But how do we do that together? How do we actually redefine the system, how the system is care is? And it moves towards value-based care as opposed to just uh, interaction and you pay for a stitch and you, you pay for a head check there. It's how do we pay for the overall health? Did the doctor improve the overall health of the individual? And these are the things that we want to start talking about. You mentioned stakeholders. What were some of their concerns? I know there's many different folks. Um, what were some of their concerns and are you listening? 
Yeah, the, since this was first introduced, this idea was first introduced by Governor Dunleavy in January of 2021, this last year. Um, and upon meeting with different stakeholder groups, uh, there was uh, some technical errors which needed to be fixed, as pointed out by alleged legal, so he pulled back this executive order. And so over the last year, I have spent uh, about once a week, sometimes multiple times a week, meeting with different stakeholder groups, telling them about this, answering their questions, and we get their questions in writing and bring back how we address these concerns, have we thought about this, and we have heard and we've listened to and we've really tried to point out that this is going to be minimally disruptive to Alaskans. We've also heard some concerns about, okay, there's going to be hiccups. How do we address that? And so uh, one thing that we're going to do is actually assign roles to policy advisors in each commissioner's office. It's going to be like a transition liaison. That for a number of months after this becomes effective, these are individuals that are going to be the focal point to receive information from the public and stakeholders about how it's going, are there system disruptions, how this gets corrected, and also how do we engage with the public on that. Are there concrete examples you can present of you know, some of their concerns, the stakeholders? Yeah, one example was uh, earlier mentioned about, uh, okay, if somebody is me- eligible for Medicaid services and they're in the Pioneer home, won't that disrupt their Medicaid eligibility? And the answer is no, that will not. Uh, somebody who's ed- eligible for Medicaid and they receive service from a Medicaid provider will still be covered under that service. So the similar aspect when it comes to the Office of Children's Services. Uh, there is actually a Medicaid eligibility determination unit within OCS They will continue to work with the Division of Public Assistance to make sure that any youth in custody or care always have access to those medical services and that there is no disruption. And so we really try to explain to groups specifically with with their concerns how these divisions would work together. In some instances, we'll actually have to have formal data sharing agreements between divisions across departments. This actually makes things a little bit easier because it says very formally how divisions respond to in the timeline for information to come back and forth. Sometimes it's a little bit easier when the rules are there as opposed to just kind of working friendly with your sibling. So this we we actually think can help uh, smooth out some hiccups along the way. Mm -hmm. So folks are concerned about the federal funding not following the patient if the department's split in two. Um, What else? uh? Just uh, their overall concern was what does this actually mean for Alaska? Is there something nefarious or hidden here? And honestly, this is just a very sincere attempt to actually set Alaska up for better management in the future. And I believe that our our year-long approach of meeting with stakeholders and what we've done over the last year has shown that the governor and myself are very sincere in that effect, that we really do want to set the system up to for improvement. The nice thing is in Alaska, I think it's Article 3, Section 23, specifically allows for this to happen, that the governor can actually put forward a change for managerial aspects like this via executive order that requires the legislature to disprove it. If they fail to do so after 60 days, it becomes law. And so we thought this out, we point the statutes in the correct direction, and this allows us to happen. You know, an example of this being used in the past is the Department of Corrections actually used to be a part of health and social services in the 80s. And it was moved via executive order to be its own department. Uh, and other switches that have occurred over the years, the Pioneer Home used to be in the Department of Administration. Yeah, and that's, so, that's an interesting one. Yeah, and yeah. so this, this is a tool that has been used multiple times, at least 119 times previously. By governors or overall? By governors. Okay. What is the cost of the bifurcation? How many new positions, and does the split of departments save money? 
You know, this is not being put forward as a cost-saving measure. It's also not being put forward as a government growth measure. This is an appropriate size of government. Uh, where we're at right now with the beast of health and social services, um, our budget is uh, $3.5 billion. And so that is actually not including all of the extra COVID relief funds that have occurred over the last two years, of which almost a billion extra has come in through us. And so we've been wanting to make sure that we're doing this in the best way possible to actually get in front. Because Alaska, being the size state that we are, we need to make sure we manage our dollars the best way possible. And sometimes reinvesting into your managerial aspects are necessary tools in order to then set yourself up for future success. And so with this, we need 10 new positions and 10 new reclassified positions. Um, you know, the initial budget the governor put forward is about $2 million cost on this. There's going to be some interagency chargebacks and some other technical things that get added here throughout the process. But it's, that is a minimal cost and in investment in order to set Alaska up for future success that allow for more room for conversation. Is an example of why managerial control is actually a very important thing. When our administration took over, uh, one of the first things Governor Dunleavy said was, you need to fix the backlog at the Division of Public Assistance. There was a backlog of 15,000 applications that was languishing that wasn't getting a response time of more than an average of 100 days if you were in that backlog. So we inserted new leadership, empowered them to actually make some policy decisions, and we invested in some technology and scanning tools and virtual call centers in order to make it easier for them to work through this. And over that, in about a year and a half, we got the backlog down to just a couple hundred. People were being responded to with an average of three days. And from that, because so many more Alaskans were actually getting better service, we changed all everything we were doing. We put forward a budget reduction this last year of $9 million in 120 open positions. And so this was something that was just gained. And these were not people sitting in these positions. These were just high attrition roles that we just didn't backfill. Um, and because of that, we're still performing and getting Alaskans a better level of service when our number one goal from the beginning was to provide a better level of service. From that, efficiencies are gained. Systems get changed. And that's just one division. There's nine divisions here that we're talking about that we can perform better. You know, look at OCS. They provide a very critical function protecting child welfare throughout the state of Alaska. Um, but we have a very high turnover rate. It needs direct focus, time, and attention without the Medicaid polar public health of commissioner and leadership working with division leadership to make sure how do we fill these positions? What is the level of support that they need in order for these staff, these case carrying workers to be there so we can keep families together as much as possible, get responses to, and also protect the kids who need protecting. Mm -hmm. 15,000 down to a few hundred, that's pretty incredible. In our former interview, I referred to you as a good football coach because of your management skills. It is surprising, you know, during COVID, it is surprising that putting the right people in the right places and the processes can achieve so much efficiency. 15,000 to a few hundred, that's pretty incredible. And what do you imagine for then breaking the two departments? You know, there's, we're going to have a lot of discussions with the legislature, we imagine. They're going to have some hearings on this. And there's a number of items that we need to lay out. We're going to share information like we need to focus on these because all about with the managerial aspect is the focus, is what is the priority? 
how are you going to do this? And then get your team to work on it. And that was one thing that public assistance, we did a great job on. We've been successful throughout public health, throughout the COVID response as a state of Alaska, because we provided the tools, the level of support, and continued dialogue throughout about what are the expectations? How do we continue to move ahead? You know, and it's very proud of Alaska or of our response. We've remained a very free state while also providing and protecting for our vulnerable populations. Those are our seniors living in congregate settings and those who can't protect themselves that we've made those tools and those options available. Um, and we've got a fantastic team of public health. And so there's group, there's things like this that we can really focus on and tackle by giving them just the time, attention and oversight. Because more often than not, when you get state employees, you've got a lot of folks that actually very much care about the mission. Uh, we talk about health and social services. You're here for a reason. You believe in the groups you're serving and the populations we're trying to help. But there's just so much to do that sometimes you just get overwhelmed. And one of the things that a good managerial team can do, and this is why this restructuring is so important, is to simplify the process. Say, we're going to take these two things and we're going to fix these first. And by getting some of those little bit of momentum and forward progress, we can actually make changes for the positive. Mm-hmm. How do you not get overwhelmed? Uh, you know, COVID now taking on this big restructuring. Um, I took on this role because uh, I wanted the opportunity to serve. Uh, you know, I come from the private sector, not uh, uh, didn't come from this world of health and social services, but I happen to have a public health degree, so that helps. But I'm seeing this as my time to actually provide level of service to put the right people in place and to give them the tools to succeed. And uh, that's that's what it is. Is we, There's a lot of smart individuals who work their tails off here uh, who just need a level of support in order to continue pressing ahead. And um, that's, that's what this is. And I'm very blessed to have an incredible team of staff and other leaders who want to work with me in order to do that. And I think that's how, that's what helps is we, we mm-hmm. share this burden and this load amongst each other. Um, and we see that this is the right thing going ahead. Okay. Dangerous question. Cause you always leave someone out, but is there, are there a few key leaders that pop to your mind and you think he wants to do this, she wants to do that? You know, I would just say the division directors we have in place here at Hess mm-hmm. uh, have they do. They have done a fantastic job managing all of the different changes that came with COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, changed how we dev- provided services, dealt with stakeholders, and even how we paid individuals. Uh, when it talks to different provider groups, they have all responded and stepped up in very specific ways. And that I think going forward, you know, there is a world beyond COVID. Uh, there is these service groups that we want to provide even better level of service to. We want to give our staff better ways to do this. We want to listen and hear their ideas and their innovation. And this is how we can do that. So I'm, I'm not going to give any, any names on that because uh, Hess is just too big to do that. Okay. What's the effective timeline for this occurring? So on December 15th, uh, just recently, Governor Dunleavy released his budget by putting forward a budget of the Department of Health and a budget for the Department of Family and Community Services. What that intimates is that uh, the first day of session, when the legislature is organized, he will introduce an executive order by transmitting it to them. Uh, They have 60 days from that date to come together in a concurrent joint session in order to disprove this. If they fail to do so, then it becomes law and it will become effective on July 1. So there is a lot of information that we've got available on this subject. It's actually uh, reorg.dhss.alaska.gov. That's reorg.dhss.alaska.gov, where we have a lot of FAQs. We've got a video up front where I address some of these issues. We explain what the executive order is. 
we have a list of stakeholder groups we've met with. And this is uh, something that we're going to continue to update and continue sharing more and more information. We've got a number of groups that have actually given us letters of support. Uh, that after we've spent the time to work this out with them, they are moving ahead saying, you know what, this is the best thing for Alaska and we can see positive from this. Mm-hmm. Any specifics in the letter, uh, the, the letters that come to mind? You know, uh, a really cool one is the, uh, the Pioneer Home Advisory Board. Um, that uh, This is a group of individuals that meet and really cared about what our facilities are for taking care of our aging population in Alaska. And their letter of support really meant a lot coming forward. Uh, the Commission on Aging actually has uh, voted unanimously to do a letter of support. And so the groups like this, which have a lot of stake in the game because they represent very broad groups, mean a lot. And so we've, we've uh, continued this. We're going to continue our outreach. We're going to continue meeting with groups, anybody who reaches out, just to share this information. But I feel like we've done a good job of trying to, to touch the majority of folks that would have a concern about this. Well, Adam Crum, Commissioner of Health and Social Services, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Firsthand the Podcast. From the Health and Social Services Department building on C Street in Anchorage, I'm Patty Sullivan.